How are you guys doing? Good? All right. Two of you are. And that's, that counts, I guess. Well, um, happy rainy January morning to you. I'm glad that you're here. You could have been anywhere else, and yet this is, what you, this is where you chose to be. And, um, and I don't think it was just your choice. I think God brought you here, and I think God wants you to be here. And um, so if you don't know me, you don't know who I am. So my name is Will, and I am on staff. I'm one of the pastors at Church at Cane Bay, about five miles that way. Oh, pirate ship kids. Sorry. That's my fault. Goodbye. Have fun without us. So this is the time when our pirate ship kids go out. All right. So, sorry I forgot that. All right. So, so I am one of the pastors at Church at Cane Bay. And here's the cool thing about it. Um, we feel like Creekside Church at Church at Cane Bay is, uh, is just an extension. You're brothers and sisters of us at Church at Cane Bay, and we realize that we need you. We need you in Goose Creek um, being a light for the gospel here and reaching every man, woman, and child here. And, and honestly, we need more, more churches to be born. Like We need more churches like Creekside. And so it's a joy for me to come and be here with you guys this morning just to celebrate the fact, like, two, two years old, right? Two years old, so it is just so cool. I, I remember it's been, um, gosh, 20 years ago? 20 years ago, I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina to start a church. So I remember this phase, like, where, where you, you hope, like, you need everybody, all hands on deck, and just know that, that when a church is new like this, and when it's young, and when you got to set up and tear down each week, and, and it, takes, it takes everybody, it takes everybody... Um, as a part of it to make this happen. But I'm going to tell you, you're pioneers in something that God's doing here in Goose Creek. And, and we need Creekside Church. And this community needs it, even if they don't know it yet or not. And so I'm glad that you're here. And it's just a joy and a privilege to be a part of, of, of you guys this morning. So you see behind me on the screen, it says, We Are Family. Now, I know that I'm not here each Sunday, and I know that this Creekside Church is not necessarily my church, but I want you to know that because I follow Jesus, and I'm a part of God's church, and you are too, then we are family. Like, we are it. And the church was always meant to be a family. And so for the next um, five weeks, um, what we're doing is we're doing this same series. We started this series two weeks ago at Church at Cane Bay, and now we get to do, do it together with Creekside Church. So I'm going to be here this morning um, talking about what it means to be for the church to be a family, and then um, one of our other pastors, Joel, is going to be here in two weeks, and then David is coming to church at Cane Bay on the last part of our series to finish it up, but we just thought this would be a fun thing to do together and to say we are family, and guess what? That was what we were always supposed to be. We weren't, the church is not supposed to just be a place you show up and sing a few songs and listen to some guy talk. Like that's, it's supposed to be a family of people, like where we're brothers and sisters, where we belong to one another. Now, Here's what I would say. Um, for the next five weeks, here was, here's what you're not going to hear. Like, we're not going to talk about the people. When you hear the word family, you know, there's all kinds of things that come in my mind. Like, we just spent the holidays with different parts of our family. And some of that was really fun. And some of it was really not fun. Are you, are you with me? Like, so you know what I'm talking about. So when I say family, all kinds of colors come in my head. Because there's some people in my family... I, maybe I kind of wish they weren't part of my family. But, but here's, here's the thing. What we're not going to be talking about is we're not going to be talking about the people we grew up with. That's not what we're going to be talking about in this series. We're not going to be talking about the people that make up your household 
Um, I, I know that if, if you know about all of us in our community, we come from all different families, all kinds of families. Families mean all kinds of things. It's truly different for all of us what makes up individual families. This isn't a series about that. This isn't a series about marriage or parenting or, or getting along with people in your family. That's not what we're going to be talking about. Because here's the thing, some of us in this room, some of us grew up with great families, and that's awesome, that's a blessing. Even in the greatest of families, there's dysfunction and mess, and, and I know that. Some of you grew up with wonderful families, where you belonged, where people loved each other, where they were committed to one another, they encouraged one another, they forgave each other. But, but here's, here's what we know, even in the best families we just said, it, it, it takes a lot of work, and it can be messy. And I have a feeling for all of us, it's been messy at times. But some of you here this morning grew up in a very dysfunctional family or a broken family. If stats are true, then more than half of us in this room grew up with what we would consider to be a broken family. And maybe in that situation, or maybe you're growing up or your experience with family, was where people didn't love each other the way it's supposed to be where we God desired us to, or people didn't commit to one another, or didn't forgive each other, or took advantage of each other, or walked out on each other. And like for you, when you hear the word family, it's not a good word. Like it's just, it's not a word that sounds like a good thing. But here's what I want you to know, that despite the family we came from, despite the family we grew up in, or what our definition is, over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about something bigger and better than that. We're going to be talking about something that I think God wants for all of us. Now, here, here's why I say that. When Jesus showed up in this world, he began to do something nobody had ever done. He began to say something nobody had ever said. In fact, here's what he did. He called God, the almighty God, the creator, the king, the judge, God had always had a name, Yahweh or Jehovah, it's transliterated, but you didn't really speak that out loud. In fact, God was so big and so powerful and so beyond us and almost so distant that you couldn't even speak his name. And Jesus shows up in the world and he begins to pray to God and talk to God and he calls him Father. For the first time ever, Jesus said that God is Father. And people listened to that and heard him and said, that's not right. In fact, Jesus didn't just call him Father. If you look at the word that Jesus used for God, it's Abba, which is really probably better translated Papa or Daddy. So Jesus shows up in this world and he starts talking about the Creator, the Almighty God, in terms of family. He starts talking about him like he's Dad. Like, my Daddy says. And, and nobody had ever done that. In fact, it was crazy. In fact, most people looked at him and thought, that's not only improper, but maybe even sacrilegious to refer to God in a close, relational, family kind of way. And yet, Jesus did it. And yet, here's the thing. Jesus did, ju didn't just call God Father. He invited us into a relationship with God where we actually could know Him as our dad. I, I want you to look at this verse. Um, I think it'll be up here, John 1. So, we... This is about, you know, Jesus coming into the world. And um, we actually read this at Christmas time in our house. But I just want you to look at what it says about Jesus. So John writes the gospel story in, in, in a little bit different way. But, but look, it says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He's talking about Jesus, right? He says Jesus was coming into the world and he was the true light. He was illuminating the darkness. Look, yet he was in the world 
And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So Jesus shows up in the world, and he's the light, and he begins to reveal the truth, and he was in this world, but the world didn't really understand who he really was. Look, it says in verse 11, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, now here's the part I want you to catch. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Don't miss that, because Jesus made something possible that was not possible before. I don't know if you know this, but people that are born in this world are not automatically children of God. That is, that's maybe what the world thinks, but it's not true. They're created by God. They're made in God's image. There's something about them that's special and unique and created by God. But they are not God's children until they believe and receive Jesus Christ. And when they receive Jesus and believe in his name, all of a sudden they are adopted. They belong now to God in a way that they didn't belong to him before. Does that make sense? They become children of the Almighty God. Look, look at verse 13, and this explains it a little bit. Who were born not of blood, nor of the, will of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, this isn't an ordinary birth. This isn't just the way you and I were born. We were all born that way of the flesh, of the will of a man and a woman, and they wanted you, or you, maybe you were, feel like you were an accident. But here's the thing. Not with God. God chose you, and he sent Jesus Christ to tell you you now have a dad who wants you, who's always wanted you, who sent his son to get you, to pay for your adoption. And now you have a family maybe you never knew existed, but you have a dad who says, I called you by name, I want you, you belong to me, and now you are invited into my family forever and ever and ever. No matter what your family looks like, you have a family that God is sending after you to say, you now have a new name. Here's the thing. When you know God is, as Father, when you come to Jesus and you believe in Jesus and you're invited into God's family, all of a sudden you're given a new identity, a new last name, a new purpose, a new way to look at life, a new life, the Bible says. Here's, here's the thing. All I'm saying is this, that, that following Jesus makes you a child of God. And, and that's something you, you really need to know. But it could, because until you discover that, until you understand that, maybe, it, you, maybe you have a misconception of what it really means to be a Christian. You see, Jesus came to invite us into God's family forever. Not with all the brokenness and the dysfunction of a natural family, but Jesus invites us to be adopted. There's no better picture I think of redemption and the gospel than what it looks like to be adopted. You see, my kids, here's the thing. The, my three biological kids, like, they, for me, I didn't get to choose them, right? They just, God gave them to me, and I just got to love them no matter how they turn out, right? You, you get it? But when you adopt a child, you say, I want you. I, I, I want you. Like, you weren't just an accident, you weren't just somebody that God just laid in our family, but we invited you into our family. Adoption is a beautiful picture. And that's the story of the gospel, is that God came after you and said, I want you. I want you. And I don't know, I don't know how you see yourself, but I know how God sees you. 
And God wants you to be his child. He always has. And when you believe in Jesus, when you believe in Jesus, all of a sudden you have a new dad. A dad who's always wanted you. Now, look at what the result of this is. So, in Romans 8, which is this going to kind of be our centerpiece verse for the day. But in Romans 8, if you want to make your way over there in your Bibles or on your phones, it'll be on the screen too. But here's what it says. I want you to look at the beautiful picture of what it looks like to have the Almighty God as your dad now. It says this in Romans 8, starting in verse 15. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back in, into fear. Maybe fear kind of was a part of your family growing up. I don't know. But it says, You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. For you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Sons and daughters, like you, you've been invited to be adopted by God. It says, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Jesus didn't just say it, but now you get to say, God is my daddy. He's my dad. And look at verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You don't have to wonder. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Listen, I don't know how you see God. Maybe even calling God dad or father, it creates a problem for you because maybe the way you saw your dad growing up. Or, um, but I, I want you to know something. No matter what your earthly family was like, and I've already said this, I just want you to know you were made for God's family. You were made for God's family. And, and if you accept what Jesus did for you and you believe in him, you become God's child and everything becomes new and you have a new family forever. Do you remember, so do you remember when you were a kid? So I was thinking about this the other day um, when I was on the playground with other boys. I don't know, boys do this. I don't know if girls did this or not, but like boys when they're growing up, they, 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 they kind of one-up themselves in terms of the way their dad looks. I can remember saying, some, some boys on the playground saying stuff like this, well my dad could beat up your dad. Have you ever heard boys do this? Like I don't know where this comes from. And then, and then we just start lying. Like, well, my dad can lift 5,000 pounds. Or my dad drives a Lamborghini. Or, you know, you know um, my dad, you know, we, we just make up these stories about our dads which weren't true. And in the reality, looking back, some of us, it wasn't just not true about our dad. It was exactly the opposite was true about our dad. And maybe there wasn't anything to be proud of, so we had to try to make something up to be, to be proud of. But, but here's the deal. Maybe, maybe growing up, none of that was true about your dad, but when you trust in Jesus, all of a sudden you need to know something, that your dad, your dad created everything. Your dad, it says in this verse we just read, that when you become a child of God, you become his heir, so that everything belong, that belongs to God now belongs to you. So the God of all the universe says, now I want you to belong to my family, but I want you to have what I have. I want you to enjoy what I enjoy. Everything that belongs to the Almighty God now, in some sense, belongs to you. And listen, I need you to know something. Our God owns everything. He knows everything. He can do everything. And He keeps His promises. He's good and He's faithful and He never leaves. You're not only children of God when you believe in Jesus, but we become brothers and sisters to everyone else who believes in Jesus. In fact, 
one day Jesus' family thought that he was a little bit crazy. Now here's what you need to know about Jesus' brothers and his mom. Is later on they became his deepest believers. In fact, his brother led the church at Jerusalem. His mom was standing there at the cross when, when he was crucified. And they became, they became followers of Jesus and his greatest disciples, some of his greatest disciples. But here's what you need to know early on. They began to wonder, like, some of the things Jesus was saying, they were like, they didn't expect for God to be like that. They didn't expect the Messiah to be like that. They, they had a different expectation about how God would save the world. And, and they, they heard Jesus' teachings, and one day they came to him, and they were trying to talk some sense into him. They were trying to kind of talk him down and say, ah, you're a little bit, you're going, you're, you're making people mad, Jesus. And so they came to talk sense into him, and, and listen to what Jesus says. In Matthew 12, it says, And stretching out his hands toward his disciples, toward his twelve disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. In other words, what Jesus is saying, he wasn't really denying his family so much. He was still his mother's son. He was still brother to his, his, his brothers. And, but what Jesus was saying is that those who believe in me, those who do the will of the Father, those who are children of God become my brothers and my sisters. You know, at, at Creekside, you probably use the word, um, David, you probably use the word disciple a lot, like that we're disciples of Jesus, which really just means that we're following Jesus or we're student of Jesus, we're a learner of Jesus, we're, we're following him. And did you know this? That in the first five books of the Bible, the word disciple is used a lot to describe the Christian, to describe the follower of Jesus. It's, it uses the word disciple. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, the word disciple is used. But did you know that after the book of Acts, the word disciple virtually disappears? And it's not used to describe Christians anymore. You know what word use, is used to describe Christians from that point forward through the end of the Bible? The word brother. The word brother. Now, why the change? Why the change? Because all of a sudden, what the writers of the New Testament are telling us is something happens when we begin to follow Jesus. We become a family. Like we become brothers and sisters of each other. We're not just following Jesus. We are following Jesus. We are disciples. But then the way we look at each other is we come to each other and we say we're, we're brothers and sisters now. We belong to one another. In, in the early church, if you read, people started calling each other brothers and sisters. In fact, at the church, first church that I ever served, the pastor's wife was introducing us one Sunday morning. And she said, um, do you remember this? She said, um, well, Brother Will and Brother Susan, would you come on up? And my wife didn't know whether to move or not. She was like, I'm not a brother. But she... And then she corrected it. She said, I mean, I mean, sister, you know, if you go into a lot of traditional churches around here, and maybe you do this here, here too, a lot of people still call each other brothers and sisters. Because, and, and there's something right about that. Like, there's something right about that because that's what we are. We didn't just show up here to watch something and to say, hey, to each other, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm good. And you know deep inside we're not all fine and good, right? But what we're supposed to be, this isn't supposed to be a place where you just show up and, and say hello. We're supposed to be a family. 
We're supposed to be brothers and sisters of each other because we have a father who adopted us and gave us a new life and a new identity and a new home one day and a new family. And now we belong to each other in a way that we didn't belong to each other before. So if you know Jesus, you are my brother and my sister. See, following Jesus does make us children of God, but it also makes us brothers and sisters. And I believe this is why the church was always meant to be a family. Always meant to be a family. Listen, I'm going to say something. I don't know if you'll agree with me or not. But I don't believe the church was ever meant to be an institution. I don't think it was ever really meant to be a club, an event, or even a charitable organization. And it's certainly not meant to be a building. We don't even have one, right? So... We don't, we don't get to talk about that. But a lot of people, when my kids, my kids were so confused when they were growing up. Because you know what? Our church met in a movie theater. So whenever they saw a movie theater, they said, well, what church is that? And I was like, well, it's not. Uh. They were little. They didn't understand. And then they went to actually, they went to preschool at a church. And so every time they see a church, they said, what school is that? And I'm like, they have no idea. Like, they're just so confused. But I'm so glad they're confused. Because the church is not supposed to be a building. It's not a place. The church was always meant to be a family, a community where we commit to one another, where we belong to one another, we fight for one another, we serve one another, we challenge one another, we encourage one another, we forgive one another. Do you know how many one another's are in the New Testament? Because we are supposed to be a family. Now listen, listen, you don't attend a family, do you? You get what I'm saying? You don't shop for a family, do you? You don't, you're not supposed to really hop from a family to family. So why do we see the church like that? I, I don't know. We've created something that church was not supposed to be. Let me, let me just read for you a description of the early church from Acts chapter 2. And you may have read this before, but, but I want to read to you what the church is supposed to look like. Look, look at this. Acts chapter 2, verse 44 says this. And all who believed, all who believed in what? All who believed in Jesus, right? It says all who believed were together. Now, I don't even know what that looks like. They were together. Like they were together. Are you with me? And they had all things in common, it says. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, not just on Sundays, but day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I read that and I go, but when did they go to work? And when did they watch the football game? And when did they... Well, I I don't know, but, but listen, there's a description here, and it, it looks so crazy to us. Because I, I read this, and I start thinking about like things like communism. And, all right, you, you see that? Because, because the world has tried to create this by forcing it in such a ways, and that doesn't work. Because this is a description of what a family looks like when we belong to one another, when we have a common mission and purpose and a, and a new name and a new life, and we look at each other and we say, you belong to me. 
and I belong to you, and what I have is yours, and what you have is mine, and I'll help you, and if you fall down, I'm going to lift you up, and when you mess up, I'm going to tell you, you don't have to live that way anymore, and I'll forgive you, and I'll hold on to you, and I'll pray for you, because that's what the church is supposed to be. That's the church, and maybe you've always had a misconception, and we have a lot of pictures of what church looks like. Listen, about, about nine years ago, my family had the opportunity to live overseas in East Africa. Some of you may know that that's a part of our story. We lived in Ethiopia as missionaries. And, and um, what I didn't anticipate was that going to Ethiopia, yeah, that was hard. But coming back home was harder for us. Um, why? Because when we returned home to the United States... I noticed things that I'd never really noticed thing about our, our American culture. Now listen, listen, I want you to hear me say this. I consider it a privilege to be an American where there's freedom and we can be here this morning and we don't have to worry about, about this being illegal. Like we can worship God and in lots of the world, they can't do that publicly like this. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. I consider it a privilege to grow up in the United States and for people who have fought for that. And, and I believe that. But when I moved back from Ethiopia, one of the things I noticed about American culture was how radically independent and individualistic it is. Like, you see, in many other parts of the world, most of the rest of the world, really, especially in developing countries, people can't survive without each other. They need each other. There's an interdependence in families and communities and churches. But see, in our country, here's the thing that I never really noticed before. Our country was founded on independence, which I get is good at some level, but it's created this radical independence. We fought for our individual rights. That's how this country was founded. And so now we, we fight for this individualism that doesn't allow us to be dependent on anybody. We almost consider it the American dream to do it ourselves and have it our way and look out for number one and build a life where I don't need or depend on anybody else. You can live next door to somebody in, in Cane Bay. I live in Cane Bay. I can touch my neighbor's house. Like, they're, they're close to me. Like, I can hear them when they're cooking in their kitchen. Like, and yet, I can live that close to all the people in my neighborhood and never really know their names or who they are. You can come to church. At, at churches all around here, every Sunday, you can exist. You can come to church and, and never really know anybody. And never really tell the truth and nobody ever know you. But, however, if statistics are true, this culture that we live in where we fight for our individual rights and our independence and we don't really want to know anybody and we can do it ourselves and we, we don't need anybody else. You know what? In our culture, it's one of the loneliest, most disconnected, most depressed cultures on the face of the planet. We, we, we hide from each other. We try to make it on our own and then we secretly compare and criticize each other and covet each other on social media. And we're trying to do it alone. We look at their meals and we try to make our meals better. We look at their kids and try to make our kids look better. We look at our vacations, their vacations, and we're like, we need to one-up them and have a better vacation than that. Like, here's the thing. We, we individually, we're trying to do life. And I'm telling you that we weren't created to function that way. Listen, there's this book that we're, we're telling people at Church at Cane Bay to read. And I would encourage you, if you want to write down the name of it, but it's called When the Church Was a Family. 
It's by a guy named Hellerman. And it is, it's an easy read. And I'll tell you, if you want to see church in a whole new way, write it down and read it. It's probably not, you're not going to see it on Amazon's bestseller list or whatever. But I will tell you, it's a great book. It was written about 10 years ago. And it was, it's, it's all about this idea that church was always meant to be a family. Now, I want you to listen to a quote he says from the book real quick. He says, we in America, we've been socialized to believe that our own dreams, goals, and personal fulfillment take precedent over the well-being of any group, our church or our family. So, so, so listen, I think there's a typo up there, but listen, that we, our fulfillment takes precedent over, over, over the needs of the group or the family. Like, what, what I want matters more than what everybody needs. That's the way we kind of often live. And he says, look, so, so look at the last part. So we leave or withdraw rather than stay and grow up when the going gets rough in the church or in the home. That's the way we do families in the United States. When things get tough, when marriages get tough, when it's hard, when I don't know how to overcome this, it's easier just to walk away. And the church is the same way. Because in our culture, what my individual rights are and wants are is more important than the group rights. And the group needs. Does that make sense? And we've been conditioned to think that way. And listen, it, that's a lonely place. That is a lonely place when you're desperately fighting for me. When I am fighting for me, and when I matter more than the group matters, then guess what? The group is not going to survive. Church was always meant to be a family where we lay down our individual rights for your rights, for each other. Where one another matters more than me being number one. Look, imagine a church, just imagine with me for a minute, imagine a church where you're loved, where you belong, no matter what you've done, where you're forgiven, where you're valued. A community, like, uh, just imagine this for a second. A community of people where nobody lives for themselves anymore. Where we don't compare or criticize each other, but we serve one another. We fight for one another. We sacrifice and give to one another. All together for a single mission of letting every man, woman, and child know that they can belong to our family too. You know why? Because their daddy wants them too. And they may not know that yet. They may have looked at church and it's a messed up picture for them. And we get to correct the picture and say, no, yes, church is not supposed to be like that. But church, the way the Bible describes it, is supposed to be a family. And we want you. And you can belong here. And we'll have your back. And we'll hold on to you. And we might challenge you. And we won't let you stay the same way. But we want you to know you were always made for a family like that. This is why David earlier mentioned about partnership. The reason you sign these covenants is because it, we're signing to each other saying, I belong to you and you belong to me. I'm, not, I'm committing myself to you. That's what a church does. At Church at Cambay, and I think it's the same here, you can't become a lifelong member or a lifelong partner. Every year you have to re-up. You have to renew and say, no, I'm in. I'm all in. Like, I'll give my money, I'll give my time, I'll give my attendance and my attention, and I'll be here and I'll serve and I'll, I'll be a part of this family because church is not just something I watch. I'm not just a spectator. 
I'm a brother and sister. That's what the church has to be. You know that at Jesus' last meal with his disciples, just before he was crucified, on that Thursday night, he gathered together with his disciples in a room and they ate the Passover meal. And it was just a, a normal celebration and and. It was normal food. They passed around the Passover meal. And they were, if you've never participated in one, it's very interesting to do this. But, but he was just eating a meal with his disciples. But something colored this because Jesus was about to be arrested the next day, right? He was about to be arrested and, and then crucified. And so the, Jesus describes to them what's about to happen. And I don't think they really got it that night. I don't think they f- truly understood that Jesus was going to have to die. But here's what I want you to know. He, he washes their feet that night. Like... They're, they're blown away by, why would God, the God of all the universe wash my nasty feet? And then he shares the meal and he passes around the bread and the cup and he says, this is my body, it's going to be broken. This is my blood that's going to be spilled for you. And they're all sitting there wondering, what in the world is, is getting ready to happen? But then I want you to look at how Jesus ends the meal. Jesus ends the meal that night by saying something to them that's very important. And I think it's very, very descriptive for what the church is supposed to be. Look at this. In John 13, 34, Jesus says this. He looks at those men that night and he says, A new commandment I give you. Now, they were familiar with all the commandments. They were familiar with the Old Testament law. And he says, Listen, guys, I'm going to give you a whole new commandment. And he says this, That you love one another. You see the one another language there? Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Now, look at the very next verse in verse 35. It's up here. Look. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Do you see that? How will people know that you belong to Jesus and that you've been adopted into God's family and your life has been changed? How will they know? By the way, we love each other. Jesus says, Jesus didn't say, oh, this is just an optional thing, or this is just a good thing. He says it's a commandment. Like it's a whole new commandment. Jesus says, you know how people, you know how the world is going to know that you belong to me? By the way you love one another. What does the family do? What is the family supposed to do? We're supposed to love one another. You know what I believe? I believe the world is dying to be a part of a family where people really love one another. Where they're loved no matter what. Like, look look at what the world's crying for and longing for. But here's the sad part. When they look at our churches, I'm not so sure they see families, do they? I mean, you think about it. Let's just be convicted for a second. When people think of church... I'm not so sure they always think of a place where they'll be loved no matter what. Not so sure they think of families where brothers and sisters have each other's backs, where we commit to one another, where we share, where we forgive. And yet that's the church Jesus has always wanted us to be. You know, Friday morning in Cane Bay, Something tragic happened. A 16-year-old student at the high school um, decided to take his own life. 
in the parking lot of the school. And I, I don't know his story. I don't know what he was dealing with. But it's tragic that there's a 16-year-old kid and he's not alone. There's a lot of people that live next door to us, that work next door to us, maybe in our own families, who feel so very alone. They feel like they just don't belong. They're desperate to be loved. and Maybe family is broken for them. And deep down inside, they're seeking to find belonging somewhere. Maybe it's they, they wish they belonged at school or at work or they seek it on a sports team or in a fraternity or sorority or at a bar or in a gang or where, wherever they can find some semblance of family where they can belong there, where people can count on each other. They're desperate for it deep down and a lot of times they never find it. And what God says is that's what we're supposed to be. That's what we're supposed to be. That's what the church has always been supposed to be. What if we were a church like that? Where the broken could be healed. Where the lonely could be known. What if we were a family like that? I'm going to pray for us. That as we walk through this series called We Are Family. That we realize that Creekside is not just a place to go. It's a family to belong to. And we need that. We need each other, don't we? So we need. In a world where it's a lonely place, where families are broken, what if the family of God looked like what Jesus has always wanted it to look like? Will you bow your heads with me? God, I realize that we have messed up church that sometimes we've reduced it to a place to go or an hour-long service on a Sunday or an institution. But God, you always wanted it to be your family. Where children that you redeemed and saved and adopted can be brothers and sisters. Where we can love each other and forgive each other and display to the world that you're our dad. And that you want to be their dad too. And that God, that following you and belonging to your family is better than anything else. So God, help us display it. Help us to commit to one another and love each other. So that they see how good this news really is. And help them know that we want them to be a part of our family too. God, thank you that the church is a family help Creekside be a family in Jesus name we pray Amen